This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. As medical advances have helped extend lifespans, older people still experience a decline in the quality of their lives in later years as a result of diseases associated with aging. This can cause a loss of independence, isolation, and suffering. The Biogerontology Research Foundation, a United Kingdom-based nonprofit, is funding work to understand the molecular and cellular processes of aging and develop biotechnological interventions to halt or reverse damage from it. We spoke to Franco Cortez, Deputy Director of the Biogerontology Research Foundation, about a new report it's issued that characterizes the longevity and geroscience landscape today, areas of research that hold promise, and why aging might best be thought of as a disease. Franco, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Daniel. We're going to talk about the biological process of aging, what's understood, and what hopes are held out by emerging biogerontology industry to halt or reverse those biological processes. Perhaps we can begin with your organization itself, the Biogerontology Research Foundation. What is it, what's its mission, and how does it operate? Sure. So it's, as far as we know, the United Kingdom's oldest charity focused on aging research and public outreach and education uh, regarding the importance of geroscience, which is the science of aging, um, and the pressing need for a paradigm shift in healthcare away from reactionary single disease treatment towards preventive multi-disease uh, treatment. Um, it was founded in 2008 by Alex Shevorenkov, who some of your listeners might know as the author of The Ageless Generation, which came out in 2013. Uh, we focus um, on aging research and on public uh, outreach and education um, on the importance of geroscience. What is aging from a biological perspective? Uh, well, I would turn um, to the 2013 paper in Cell called The Hallmarks of Aging, um, which essentially attempted to break down the underlying biological mechanisms underlying aging uh, to sort of provide a consensus for the field in the same way that the Hallmarks of Cancer paper did for uh, cancer. Uh, it's a variety of... Uh, forms of molecular and cellular damage that accrue over time uh, and underlie the aging process and by virtue thereof, the large majority of chronic diseases afflicting developed nations today, from cancer to cardiovascular disease to Alzheimer's, etc. 
while there are a number of diseases like those you mentioned that are thought of as diseases of aging, should we think of aging itself as a disease? Yes, uh, I think we should, um, in the sense that aging is the largest risk factor for the majority of chronic diseases afflicting developed nations today. Um, there has been some pushback by uh, for, for categorizing aging as a disease because it's universal and it affects all of us. Um, but I think it's without question that it's a process uh, that's become rather well understood over the past few decades um, and a process that is modifiable via intervention uh, and that underlies a lot of the chronic ill health of old age. Your foundation just released an 800-page report mapping the longevity industry and, and geroscience landscape for the first time. Some people may be surprised how active a landscape this is. Can, can you offer some broad brushstrokes as to how big it is and, and how deep the research that's going on is today? And what if any therapeutic pipeline there may be out there and whether there's a, a commercial dimension to, to this industry? Sure. Uh, well, one of the main conclusions we drew from creating this report was that the size of the geroscience research landscape from an academic and nonprofit perspective is a lot larger than, than we thought. And I believe that a lot of the practitioners um, of the field think as well. For instance, we've profiled over 100 uh, research labs and nonprofits. Um, I think a lot of people within the community are familiar with the sort of heavy hitters like Sens Research Foundation and the Buck Institute for Research on Aging. Um, but it was uh, a surprising finding that the total size of the research landscape is actually quite large. And in terms of the investment landscape, how much money is going into this field and are there dedicated funds? Is this attracting investment from traditional life science players? Yeah, well, there are a number of uh, longevity-focused VC funds that have sprung up in the past few years, uh, such as the Methuselah Fund, uh, Apollo Ventures, uh, Deep Knowledge Life Sciences, um, Longevity Fund, Longevity VC. There are about a half dozen, at least, that we're aware of. Um, I would say that, uh, well, of course, the longevity industry started a little while ago, uh, I would say, with uh, the launch of Geron in 1990. Uh, by Mike West, um, but there was a bit of a winter um, or a decade or two, and I think that the prospect of a serious longevity industry um, wasn't really considered by most mainstream investors until around 2013 uh, with the formation of Calico uh, by Alphabet, which is Google's parent company, um, founded uh, by Arthur Levinson, who is the former chairman of Apple. Um, and the company was uh, funded to the tune of $1.5 billion dollars Mark, from, from Apple of, and from uh, Abby V. I think people think of Mark Levinson more in the context of his work as CEO of Genentech. Yes, yeah, um, that as well. Um, but I would say that uh, 2013 really uh, marked the turning of a tide um, in terms of a serious longevity industry. Um, that year also saw the formation of Human Longevity, Inc., uh, founded by Craig Venter and Peter Diamandis. Um, and once, you know, very well-funded uh, longevity companies entered uh, the, the field, I think that, that really marked a turning point for, for a lot of people. 
Um, another really heavy hitter um, was Unity, uh, Unity Biotechnologies, which raised $160 million in Series B funding, uh, which is a rather large amount of money um, for a company focused on an area that was considered fairly fringe as little as five or six years ago. So is there a commercial pipeline today? Do we have drugs and clinical testing yet? Uh, well, we have uh, drugs in the pipeline. There, none of these companies have put anything on the market, uh, to my knowledge. Um, in terms of trials going on today, uh, I think one of the most exciting ones is the TAME trial. It's uh, targeting aging with metformin, um, which has received preliminary approval from the FDA, though the uh, people behind the trial are still trying to organize the necessary funds. Uh, but essentially, that's going to look at um, the extent with which metformin, which is a common diabetes drug, can help reduce uh, the incidence of uh, cancer and heart disease and Alzheimer's um, in a population who, who don't have diabetes, uh, which is rather promising um, from a regulatory standpoint uh, because it paves the way to um have have having aging uh, be considered an indicator of a disease uh which I, I think is very important and goes back to your earlier question about whether or not aging should be classified as a disease uh because uh, my foundation feels that it's a necessary prerequisite for the clinical evaluation of any future health span extending therapy uh because you know right now if a company wants to uh, release a health a health span extending therapy and get clinical approval for that. They need to um, target some recognized disease indication, and so today that would mean uh, targeting you know a specific age related disease. Whereas classifying aging as a disease uh, itself uh, opens the door to much wider spread applicability of those potential products. There have been a number of targets of interest to researchers focused on aging. I'm wondering if we could just touch on a few of those and get your thoughts about how well-defined these are today and how helpful they may, as, they may be as targets for therapeutic interventions. Uh, the first of these is DNA damage. Yeah, um, well, DNA damage is certainly considered a hallmark of aging, um, and there are a variety of potential interventions uh, that could be well-suited for that, um, including gene editing technologies um, and things like that. How about free radicals? Uh, yes, that's, um, you know, free radical damage is considered um, to be, well, it, it was considered one of the, it was the form of damage that underlied a lot of early um, theories on, on aging and, and the causal mechanisms underlying aging. Um, I would say that uh, it's, it's certainly a process that can be intervened upon through, you know, small molecules and the like. Um, but free radical damage, I, I don't think, is going to yield a whole lot of concrete results in terms of actual health span extension uh, just from 
the results of of studies that have focused on that. How about telomeres? Sure, telomere attrition is another so-called hallmark of aging. Um, and it was actually the, the focus of the first longevity company, uh, Geron. Um, and yes, there, there are a variety of potential therapeutic interventions that, that could help with that, uh, namely telomerase therapy for one. Um, but that particular form of, of age-related damage is a little bit tricky because there's an ongoing worry that um, upregulation of, of telomerase or introduction of um, telomerase genes in cells could also feed cancer in the sense that the large majority of, of cancers have elongated telomeres um, and use telomere elongation in order to facilitate their ongoing um, expansion. There's been an overall trend in therapeutic development from moving from treating symptoms to addressing the underlying cause of disease. Do the various biological targets of aging hold any promise at getting at specific diseases such as cancer or heart disease or Alzheimer's? Well, I would argue that uh, interventions that try and intervene on the aging process itself um, hold the greatest promise for preventing and delaying the onset of some of the diseases that you mentioned, uh, largely just because aging is, is the largest risk factor um, for a lot of those diseases and the underlying cause that, that ultimately um, facilitates their onset and formation. How hopeful are you that we'll, we'll see therapeutic interventions that provide a significant change to longevity and, and to health of, of aging individuals? Well, it's, it's hard to say, but I would definitely say that I'm a lot more hopeful than I was six years ago um, when there was not really a longevity industry to speak of. Now there's a lot of money flowing in and people are starting to take it pretty seriously. Um, and also, uh, you know, this is helped by the fact that somewhat conservative mainstream uh, business personalities um, are jumping into the fray as well. For instance... Um, Jim Mellon comes to mind. He's uh, a member of our board of trustees. Um, he's often considered the, the British Warren Buffett. He's a uh, British billionaire who um, has predicted uh, certain um, the, the success of certain markets with, with a fairly high track record over the years. And he just released a book called Juvenescence, Investing in the Age of Longevity that essentially um, gives credit to the position that uh, a serious longevity industry is forming and that it's going to see some significant progress over the coming years. As we think about the development of life-saving therapies for diseases such as cancer, there, there have been debates about the cost and access of such, to such therapies, but there doesn't generally seem to be the need to consider the, the economic, social, political, ethical, and even philosophical implications of developing these therapies. Is aging different beyond the science? What do we need to think about in terms of the implications of extending life broadly? Well, uh, aging is rife with, um, you know, philosophical and ethical concerns historically, um, largely because it's 
been considered for the majority of human history as sort of a uh, sacrosanct process, very um, tied into our um, ideals um, and faiths and things like that. Uh, but I think that for the most part, um, the geroscience community and the and the aim of of both the geroscience research community and the longevity industry is a lot less fraught with some of these ethical concerns than a lot of your viewers and listeners might really be aware of. For instance, a common misnomer is that lifespan extension is the the main goal um, of this endeavor, but really the majority of mainstream geroscientists are focusing on health span extension uh, and compression of morbidity, which is compressing the incidence of age-related disease into the final few years of life. Um, so we're not really talking about immortality here. We're talking about extending the healthy period of patients' lives in which they are relatively free of age-related disease in order to prevent a lot of the diseases um, that afflict developed nations today. Uh, diseases which, you know, um, other more reactionary efforts to to treat um, are not really met with a lot of ethical concern. Frank Cortese, Deputy Director of the Biogerontology Research Foundation. Frank, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.